Hey, it's the Product Highs Podcast, back with another episode. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Brian Castle. And today I'm talking to Taylor Pearson. He joined me and we had a really great conversation about just the trajectory of over the last few years and where Taylor has been headed on his entrepreneurial path, how he started as an apprentice working with Dan and Ian from the Tropical MBA podcast into writing and launching his own book, The End of Jobs, and then on into consulting and coaching and this year, he's focused on a new site that he launched called getapprenticeship.com. And that's where he matches up businesses with apprentices. There's certainly a need on both sides of that equation. We talked all about that. It was a really uh, you know, wide-ranging conversation. Always great to talk to Taylor and get his unique perspective on things. I think he brings a lot of focus to the table. He has a very systematic uh, systems mindset. And yeah, it was just really interesting to hear how his path has evolved these last few years. And it's always interesting to see what he's up to next. So here it is. Here's my conversation with Taylor Pearson. Enjoy. All right. I'm here with Taylor Pearson. Taylor, how's it going, man? Good. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Great to connect with you again. I've been following your work for a few years now, and uh, you've just been a really interesting guy to, to read up on and follow all your different projects. I think like many of us, you know, you're definitely one of those people who focuses on a different thing, it seems like, every half a year or so. And so I guess my first question for you right now, middle of 2017, what are you kind of focused on right now? Uh, so writing is always kind of a big part. Um, I focus that's what drives the business for me long term. So do some kind of like platform building, blog posts, guest posts, that kind of stuff. And then I'm working on another book. And then kind of the rest of my time is split between different projects related to sort of monetizing the writing. So I have a, a course that I'm kind of working with the community and revamping consistently. And then I have kind of a niche job board slash productized service that is basically a startup apprenticeship matching service. So connecting remote startups with kind of entry-level sales, marketing, operations employees. Yeah, very cool. Um, that was probably the thing that led me to uh, inviting you on for this call today was the apprenticeship stuff that you've been working on. Definitely caught my interest. I'm thinking a lot about that for my business as well. So I definitely want to pick your brain about that and see what you're doing there. I mean, before we get to that, Let's step back, maybe roll the time back a little bit. And, you know, because like I said, you seem to be one of these guys who like every year, every time I'm kind of like checking in with you, it's like, okay, you seem to be focused on your first book, End of Jobs. And then I heard you talk a lot about time management, which is really interesting and finding focus. And then now the apprenticeship stuff. I guess I'm wondering, how do you decide where to go big picture from year to year? I mean, how has that gone for you these past couple of years? Is it the kind of thing where like one thing just kind of like leads into the next and, or is there a larger kind of trajectory or larger goal that kind of guides where you're going? Yeah, I think a lot of it's sort of an organic evolutionary process, sort of like, you know, the lean startup thing of I kind of, I work on something and then, you know, inevitably uh, it doesn't go as I planned, sometimes in bad ways, sometimes in good ways and new opportunities come up and I kind of see those and iterate. So I tend to do um, like on a strategic level, I just run everything in 90 day sprints. So I kind of sit down and I'll plan out, you know, this is like actual concrete deliverables over the next 90 days and then I'll leave it pretty open-ended. After that, and then at the end of that cycle, just sit down and kind of reevaluate, okay, you know, what did I learn over this course of this? You know, what went well, what went badly? And then iterate based on that. That's cool because I, I tend to uh, make all these annual goals, especially like 
just like everyone else, I, I do these like New Year's, you know, January 2017. This is the year I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. This is going to take me throughout the year. And then March, April comes around. I'm like, all right, things have changed. Everything is, <laughs> is, is out the window. Now I've got new plans. And I feel like that happens. Like I end up making those 90-day plans, but thinking further ahead and inevitably things change. So I think that's a really interesting strategy. Um, before we get into the rest of the stuff, I also wanted to kind of hop back even further. I know, like, I think the first time I heard about you was on the Tropical MBA podcast with Dan and Ian. I know you used to work with those guys. Is that essentially where your entrepreneurial path began? And can you tell us a bit about that experience, how you started out with them? Yeah. So I, um, like many people, I guess maybe it started with the four hour work week. I did a study abroad program in college. I was thinking about becoming a lawyer and there was a, a guy in my study abroad program. I was like having second thoughts about going to law school. And he was like, you should read this book called the four hour work week. And so I read that and I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. You know, you can do all this internet business stuff. And I didn't know anything about it. So I started listening to podcasts and reading blogs and all this stuff. And for the first year, uh, I was actually an English teacher. I taught English in Brazil and I was sort of doing online business stuff. I would teach mornings and nights. So like, you know, 6am to 9am and then you know, maybe like 5pm to 9pm. So I had this big chunk in the middle of the day to work on other stuff. And so uh, this was like six or seven, five or six years ago now. A lot of people doing these kind of like AdSense uh, arbitrage sites. So I kind of started building this network of AdSense arbitrage sites, uh, mostly as sort of like a learning experience. You know, how do you set up a WordPress website? Uh, how do you do SEO? All this kind of stuff. So that turned into, uh, I, I did that for maybe six months. I realized it wasn't a great business, but I learned a lot. And that was kind of how I got into working with the tropical MBA guys and managing their e-commerce stores was I said, Hey, you know, I've kind of, I've taught all myself all these skills about marketing and WordPress and how all this stuff is managed. And actually I was working at a local marketing firm in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I'm from, like a web marketing agency for about six months as a project manager, and then ended up moving to do kind of like the in-house marketing stuff with the tropical MBA guys. So that position with them, you were kind of doing marketing for their line of physical products that they were selling? Yeah, they had, we had five or six companies. There were two or three main ones, which were, um, we sold valet parking equipment, portable bars that you like roll, like caterers would use to roll out for weddings or like big event venues used, and then uh, cat furniture. And so I was, I was managing basically the online marketing, you know, AdWords, SEO, email marketing, lead capture kind of stuff for them. So, I mean, I know that was several years ago, but like when you came into that role, did they bring you in to, as a marketing expert, to take over their online marketing and ad campaigns for those products? Or was that kind of like an apprenticeship in a way where they were like, we've got these things working and you can kind of learn on as you go? Or how did that look? So initially, my background was SEO. I done SEO was kind of my what I was doing with the AdSense websites. And that was the main stuff I was doing at the marketing agency I was at. So I came in and I was mostly just focused on SEO and SEO optimization. And then the role just kind of expanded. So it went from SEO to kind of online marketing more generally, and then eventually kind of became online marketing and sales, and then kind of became uh, just like a bit of everything. So yeah, it was very much kind of an apprenticeship thing where I was just able to kind of expand into different roles in the company. And then what did you kind of like learn during that time? What did you take with you? And how did that like set you up for the, the next couple of steps that you took on after that? I think the biggest thing I took away from it is probably the most ephemeral, which is this kind of 
this sense of everything being kind of crazy and out of control and that being the norm. Uh, like I, have, I have this very distinct memory. I was working in the office in San Diego and it was like a, a nondescript Wednesday. And we had, I think our second largest customer was like 60 days in arrears, not paying their invoices. One of our manufacturers had found out we were working with another manufacturer to kind of try to diversify our manufacturing base. And they thought we were double crossing them and they were threatening to shut off production. Like our AdWords account spun out of control and like blew five grand in 48 hours or something for some unknown reason. And I, I just remember walking out of the office. Typical Wednesday. Yeah, typical Wednesday. Like kind of stuff, you know, and I think like, you know, two years before that, I would have like freaked out. Like, oh my God, everything's going crazy. It was like, yeah, I mean, that stuff happens. You know, sometimes that's what Wednesday looks like. Right, right. I guess when you're managing things like that and you go through those experiences and just being involved in a business like that, I guess it, it kind of gives you that experience so that you can take more risks and, and go down different paths just knowing that like anything can basically be dealt with one way or another and you can get through it. Just, you know, you might as well you know, take some swings and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think you gain a sense of your survivability, if you will, like all these things that I say, Oh, you know, that would definitely kill me or that would kill the business. And they don't, you know what I mean? You figure out, um, you figure out how to deal with them and you have, you know, think about how to manage the risk that you're dealing with and, um, you go on. So it changed the way I thought about kind of like risk and uncertainty. Yeah. It does get back to this concept of time too. I'm always like, if I'm having like kind of like a down month, I tend to feel like, man, like I'm in this hole, like how am I ever going to get out of this? But then you look back on the last six months, it's like, all right, two of those were down months, four of them were up. Like time just goes on and eventually things resolve and, you know, just kind of kind of break into the bigger picture, I guess. But, you know, take me to the end of jobs. I mean, I know that this was a couple of years ago and actually you and I and, and Jordan talked more in depth about this on our other podcast, Bootstrapped Web, you know, around the time that that came out. So uh, maybe we'll, we'll link that up in the show notes to get the full story on that. But just for listeners here, maybe like in a nutshell, tell me like what is the end of jobs, the book? Yeah, so the Tropical MBA guys, Dan and Ian, uh, they had the e-commerce stores that I was managing and they also had kind of a an online forum and events business for internet entrepreneurs, people running, you know, small internet-based businesses. And so I got involved with that community through them and I was at their conference in Bangkok, I guess it would have been 2014. And we were all kind of sitting around the breakfast buffet at this, you know, nice five-star hotel in Bangkok because you can do that kind of stuff in Southeast Asia where it's way cheaper. And we're talking about like, you know, how do we explain to our friends back home this sort of career path or this sort of career trajectory, right? Because it's, you grow up and you, you have all these scripts that you understand, right? Like you understand the accountant script or you understand the doctor script, you know, go to college, take, you know, these biology classes and these chemistry classes, get this GPA, get this on your MCAT. Like there's kind of laid out. There's a, a script to follow, but this sort of small internet-based business entrepreneur script is not very, you know, it's no one knew anyone that did that growing up, right? Like it just started happening in the last decade. And so it was just kind of this new emerging career script or way you could approach your career. And so the idea behind the end of jobs was basically to explain what that career script looks like and why I think it makes sense and why it makes more sense than maybe some previous, you know, the doctor, lawyer, traditional career path. Like kind of making a logical argument for this is actually less risky than it's commonly perceived to go on your own and be an entrepreneur. Exactly. It's like going back to the kind of nondescript Wednesday where everything goes crazy. I think there's a real, Daniel Kahneman talks about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow on kind of like behavioral biases, these cognitive biases we have, but there's a real gap between what kind of feels emotionally risky and what is actually 
probabilistically risky when you run the numbers. And so I think entrepreneurship is one of those things that uh, look often feels very, very risky. But when your startup costs or whatever, 200 bucks and you know some nights and weekends, there's actually very little real risk and a lot of real potential upside there. Awesome. So what I'm interested in here is like, take me to that time. You know, you're a really strong writer. You've been writing essays for a while. You're coming out of work with Dan and Ian in this other company. You're on your own. I don't know if it was exactly at that time, but the decision to write a book and to support yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, you self-published, correct? I did, yeah. So writing a full-length book, going through that that production process and then into the launch process, self-publishing it, how did you think about, how did you go about self-funding that whole process and making that kind of like a business venture and to support yourself at that time? So it, it really wasn't a strategic business venture. I was, after I stopped working with Dan and Ian, they very kindly had me on their podcast and sort of let me you know, present this case study of one of the companies I was managing had grown, I think like five or 600% over the two years I'd been there. And we kind of talked through how that worked and what I did and yada, yada. And so that turned into consulting stuff. And I was basically doing, you know, freelancing consulting stuff for e-commerce marketing, email marketing, SEO, all that kind of stuff. And I had been writing this website on the side for two or three years, my personal blog, kind of a nights and weekends project. And Dan Andrews and a couple other people were kind of like, you know, you should go pro on this and write a book. So I basically said, okay, I'm going to kind of keep my consulting stuff going and just hack out a couple hours in the morning and see if I can crank a book out. And, you know, if it does great, great. And if it does badly, that's fine. I'm, you know, I'll go back to doing my e-commerce consulting, marketing consulting stuff. So in that sense, it wasn't super strategic and the book did a lot better than I expected or realized that it would. So early on, it was just like, yeah, let's try this out, throw something at the wall, see if it sticks, go through that experience of launching a book and see how that goes. Um, How long did it actually take you like from the decision to start to get to launch and then going after that? Uh, So it took me about nine months. I mentioned I'd kind of run things in 90 day sprints. And so I did 90 days, try to rough draft, 90 days to edit it, and then 90 days to kind of do the marketing, the launch, and the final editing process. And so tell me about like the initial launch and the success of the book over the first year and beyond. Like, What did that look like in terms of meeting, exceeding your expectations? Yeah, so I, uh, I kind of just, I, I drew up a basic marketing plan and I said, okay, I'm going to execute on this plan and we'll see where it goes. So I did some podcasts or some guest posts and, you know, I had a small email list, I think three or 400 people at the time that I announced the book to and kind of just waited to see what happened. And then I think maybe two or three days after I launched it, it just picked up a lot of momentum. And I think I ended up selling maybe 5,000 copies in the first month, which was like more than I expected to sell in the first year. This is off of Amazon. This is off of Amazon. Yeah. What do you think triggered that? So three, 400 people on the email list, how does that become... 5,000 sales on Amazon? Like, was it just the topic alone just kind of caught fire? Was there like a, a mention of it somewhere? Like, how did that go? So Amazon has a promotional thing you can do where you can give the book away free for uh, five days. So I actually launched it for free. And I think maybe the first three or four days, it got downloaded like 10,000 times for free. And it's a bit of a gambit that if it goes well, that the momentum from the free can carry over to the paid and you can actually sell more books long-term because you've got a lot of the momentum. Uh, and so that was basically what happened. I gave away for free to kind of like my immediate audience and the people that heard about it in the first couple of days and said, hey, uh, if you like this, I'd really appreciate it if you'd write a review and tell a friend about it. And so I think there's just a lot of goodwill, word of mouth, 
that drove the initial sales. And then also like there's kind of a virtuous cycle after a book launch. Uh, Amazon's algorithm biases new books. So you get like a little bit of an algorithmic bump in the bestseller list. So if you can get to the top of the bestseller list through uh, word of mouth, it's relatively easy to stay there. And a lot of people, you like, you know, people go to like bestselling books in small business and entrepreneurship as a discovery tool. And so a lot of people found the book just browsing through Amazon. Very cool. And then how did things go over the, let's say like a year out past the launch? Obviously, like all of your promotional activities, being on podcasts and stuff, that starts to taper off, I'm sure. And, and you're starting to focus on other projects. How does the book stay kind of relevant and selling? Uh, so I'd say after about six months, it flattened out. Because, you know, so there was a big bump around the launch that kind of slowly trailed off. And from about so six months after it launched until you know last month, it's been basically flat. You know, depending on the month, it'll sell like four hundred to a thousand copies. You know, if I do some a promotional thing, it'll sell more. Um, if it's just kind of ticking along, it'll sell less. But uh, it's been pretty flat for the last year and a half. Cool. So, like, what's been the overall? impact because i'm sure beyond the actual sales themselves having a book having that sort of audience grow like that like what's been the impact since the book came out so i i think one thing you know for me professionally is um i guess it got, there's a lot of uh access benefits if you will it's kind of like uh you know people talk about like the book is the business card but if you have a book that's you know reasonably well known within a certain space that you know people that might not have replied to my emails before would reply to my emails now because they'd heard of me through the book, you know, they'd heard a friend mention it once or whatever. So that was certainly an advantage. I mean, I think one big thing for me personally was, uh, you know, writing was always something I'd like to do, um, but it was always very much a kind of a weekends, nights uh, side project. It wasn't what paid the bills. And this kind of, this shifted that around a little bit more. I was like, oh, wow, I, I could do this. I could make a real go of this professionally and write as my actual career. And so that was, a, you know, for me personally, that was like a really exciting thing to be able to, wow, I could actually like do this thing I really enjoy doing professionally. I know you've gotten into like, you know, more consulting and coaching and you're doing the apprenticeship site, which we'll talk about. But I mean, is that where the larger trajectory is going for you? Do you think like just like, do you think of yourself as a professional writer or do you think of yourself as a business builder or both? Or what do you think? Uh, more as a writer, like a, yeah, a business writer or business author is usually how when people when I introduce myself. That's usually what I go with. And you're starting a new book. And yeah, I'm working on a new book. Can you tell us about that? Uh, it's the title and the topic change like roughly every month. It's one of those things like as I work on it, it keeps shifting a lot. Um, but it's a lot about um, uncertainty and innovation and the relationship between the two. Very cool. So where are you at in the process on this one? So this one, after the end of jobs did reasonably well, I got contacted by a few publishers and agents. And so I'm sort of treading between whether I want to self-publish or traditionally publish this. So I've been talking with some publishers and agents to put together proposals. And so I'm working back and forth, but I've got, I don't know, maybe half of a manuscript and half of a proposal put together and I'm kind of working on them both. Awesome. So you think this time around you might go the published route? I'm thinking about it. It's really, it's changing very fast in terms of kind of like what the advantages are and how it works. Like, on a, you know, every six to 12 months, I feel like things kind of change in terms of what makes sense. So uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out, what the right way to approach it is. So tell me about your coaching services. I've been kind of reading through how you promote that on, you know, on your personal site where your blog is and under the services section, that's where you can kind of see your coaching stuff, which I always think is kind of interesting. And just, just from hearing folks who make a living at coaching or, I mean, I know it's not the only thing you do, obviously, but it's, I assume it's a piece of it. So yeah, I mean, just kind of tell me about like, when did that actually start as a chunk of 
what you do and tell me how you describe your coaching. Yeah. So it started, um, I resisted calling it coaching for a really long time. You know, you hear all these like life coaches and like, God, I don't want to be labeled as one of those people. Um, so I, I was kind of referred to as coaching and consulting, but I mean, really how it happened, it sort of grew out of the consulting stuff. It just gradually, some of the consulting stuff where I was delivering the services kind of evolved into coaching. I think a big part of it for me that I didn't really, I didn't plan this out, but this was how it worked out in retrospect was I was very, uh, uh, I was very bullish on masterminds and maybe five or six years ago, I started uh, organizing masterminds. So I've been in two or three masterminds for the last five or six years, you know, different ones and kind of rotating. But it gave me this really interesting perspective in terms of, you know, between those I'd seen, you know, 30 or 40 of these types of internet-based small businesses over a multi-year period. And so I could start to kind of see trends and patterns and like, huh, like this always, you know, you know, people tend to get caught in operations and they get caught in operations. It means they can't grow the business. And so you leads to the cycle of, uh, you know, you sell a bunch, then you get caught in operations, then you sell a bunch, you, you know, so there's like with everything, there's kind of repeating patterns and trends. And so the, the masterminds I was doing really helped me start to see what a lot of those were. So I think that was a part of it. And I think, uh, Another part of it is just kind of like playing to your individual strengths. You know, you ask, you know, do I see myself as a business builder or as kind of a writer? And I, I much more see myself as, you know, you call a writer or a strategist. I, I can get things done, but I know people that are much better executors than me. But I think kind of, uh, I have a bit of an advantage that I think, you know, I, I have enough, if I have enough data, I can kind of look at the big picture and sometimes see things other people don't and add value that way. Yeah, I did notice that you have these focus points. I think you broke it into like four areas where you tend to focus, like peak performance around like managing time and, and making progress, operations, marketing and launches, and strategy. So do you find that you, you focus on those four aspects or I guess like problems to solve and you have like a standard method for each one that you kind of apply to all of your coaching students or do you kind of tailor it for each person or how does that work? So the way I think about it is I have a toolbox and it's not, you know, it doesn't have every tool in the world, but it's got tools that are useful to, you know, mostly, you know, half a million to $5 million internet based small business owners. That's kind of, that's where most of my clients are. And I've got SOP tools and I've got marketing tools and you know how you run surveys tools and all these kinds of different things. Uh, and so a lot of the coaching is kind of finding someone and saying, okay, can I take the tools in my toolbox that I already know how they work and I understand how they work? And for the point you're at in your business right now, you know, are these going to be helpful? Can we like graph these on to what you're doing in a way that adds a lot of value for you? Um, and so finding cuts kind of what the, the introduction process is, is, you know, having a call and saying like, okay, you know, I got these tools, you know, does it make sense for you to, to use them? Got it. And then how have you kind of like structured your packages and how does it usually play out with your students? Uh, so I tend to do the packages in uh, 90 to 180 day sprints as well. I try to start with six months just because there's like a real getting to know you kind of process. And so I think the longer term engagements tend to be better, like six months to a year, I find is sort of a good length. I mean, at a certain point, I run out of tools. You've kind of seen all the tools in my toolbox. But those are kind of like typical links for me. And then I will kind of like tailor it. You know, so I, I just started working with someone who's trying to self-publish a book. And so obviously, like, that's very different than someone who runs an e-commerce business that, you know, we're going to be focused on different projects and different initiatives over that six to 12 month span. And so I guess your coaching students come to you as a result of the things that you've done in the past. So you've published a book successfully. You've, you've worked on e-commerce businesses 
I guess, is it people from your like business network or is it readers of your book? Like, where do you think the most leads are coming from for these types of services? So the majority definitely comes through personal referrals. Like it's, uh, I think that's just the nature of the industry because it's expensive, right? And you want to have, you know, when someone you know and trust says, hey, you know, this is, uh, this person is credible and good at what they do. That's a lot more important. Um, I have in the last maybe year, um, people that have been reading my site or, you know, read a lot of my materials that are trying to get inquiries and work with some of those people just, and I think again, it's just like a built up trust thing. It's like, you know, they've been reading it for three years and you know, they can, okay, he's here to stay and he knows a few things and these things might be helpful to me. Yeah. And they've gotten to know your approach and your philosophy and everything. So, and so like, how do you balance your time commitment to that piece of what you do? I mean, you're, you're writing a book, you're starting these other sites and you're coaching clients. So like, like how many clients at a time do you take on and how many hours per week or per month? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, so not many, two to three clients at a time is about as, that's max for me. And everything is done. Usually we meet bi-monthly, so every other week. And then the call will be, depending on how we structure it, 60 to 90 minutes. And I'll spend you know, half an hour preparing before looking over all the materials, kind of loading up all the mental RAM, and then half an hour, you know, breaking everything down afterwards. So in terms of how I spend my time, it's not a, it's not a huge, huge chunk. It's maybe, um, I tend to write in the mornings, and then one or two afternoons a week, we'll do the consulting stuff. And then the projects kind of um, fall piecemeal in around the, the consulting stuff in the afternoons. Cool. So let's, let's kind of get into the, the current year, right? Like your current focus, apprenticeships. This is something that I heard about from you a couple of weeks back, getapprenticeship.com. So tell me about that. Yeah, so like we were talking about earlier, I uh, the way I kind of got into this whole thing was I basically got what I would call uh, an apprenticeship, which is I went to work for a business that I went to learn how it worked. I worked for them for two years for, you know, I started at a very entry-level salary and the agreement was always kind of like, hey, you know, we're going to let you learn a lot and you have lots of opportunity to move up in this business. And so it was, you know, um, I think sometimes the analogy I give is, you know, if you want to go work at a large company, you get an MBA. And if you want to go work at kind of a smaller, fast growing company, you're probably better off getting an apprenticeship, whether it's called that or not, but you're actually going into the fray and working in one of these companies and getting your hands dirty. And, you know, that was a huge, uh, I mean, it was a huge, huge thing for me in terms of the benefits to my career and what I learned, um, you know, coming out of that, I mean, I felt like I was in a better position than had I gone to business school for those two years in terms of kind of the opportunities I had available to me. So I was always a really big believer in them. Um, it was one of the strategies I talked about in the end of jobs in terms of like, you know, what's this new career script? One of the ways is kind of to get into these apprenticeships. And so maybe three or four months after the end of jobs came out, I would have all these readers start to email me and say, hey, you know, this apprenticeship thing sounds great. How do I get one? And then at the same time, I would, you know, scroll through my Facebook or scroll through my Twitter and I would see business owners I know saying, hey, you know, we have this entry-level marketing role and, you know, anyone that would be a good spot to put it together. Um, I think it happened like two or three times in one week and I was like, okay, fine, I'll do something. And so uh, I just put up a landing page and an email list and I said, hey, if you want to hear about apprenticeship opportunities in your email here and I'll email you when I hear about something. And so for about a year a little more than a year. That was kind of, it was just, you know, I had a friend that posted a job or I saw someone in my network that posted a job that I thought would be a cool company to work for. I would just fire up MailChimp real quick and, you know, copy the job post in and send it out and say, you know, if you're interested, take a look. And so I basically spent a year trying to kill the project and make it go away. So it would stop distracting me from the other things I was working on. And it, it just kept coming up. People would ask me about it in person and it kept getting traction despite my basically giving no resources to it. So uh, about two or three months ago, I was like, okay, like, let's, you know, make this thing legit. So now basically taking that process and formalizing it as right now it's a 
there's two services. So one is just like a job board. Uh, like if you want to advertise for a job, anything else, you pay 200 bucks. And we send out a, we have a database of these uh, potential apprentices for sales marketing operations roles. Send out an email to the database. Or we also sort of have a productized service version where um, we have an internal process that I've used and I've worked with clients to use for how to hire people. And we'll basically run that process for you and just give you a dossier with the three best candidates for the position you're hiring for. Okay. So clearly it's like a two-sided marketplace. At its core, I guess it's kind of like a job board, but it has these like services layered on top of it in a way. Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Interesting. So is it basically the businesses who pay and the apprentices can register? Is it all free for apprentices? It's all free for apprentices. Yeah. The businesses pay just like you'd pay a job order or a headhunting service. So tell me more about that process. So for 200 bucks, they get their job listed and then they get their job kind of sent out to your database of apprentices. Yeah. So we have um, so I got a job board where everything gets listed and we'll pull in like some other positions from other sites as sort of a curation thing. But if you pay, you get kind of a, a highlighted position on there and then you get like a dedicated email that goes out to everyone. So everyone sees the job. So I'm curious to hear more about the productized service that you've layered on top of that. Like, how do you work with a business? How do you kind of bring them through that process of because I'm curious about this myself, like preparing to have an apprentice, creating that position in your business, advertising for it, hiring them, training them, getting up and running with them. Yeah. So the first step is really just kind of a mutual screening call to make sure it's a good fit. And I think, you know, apprentice is not a very well-known concept, particularly in the US. And so kind of explaining what is meant by apprenticeship, like this is someone who uh, one, you need to have a role where there's like, like upward trajectory. So it's not like they shouldn't be doing the same thing. Into, if you're hiring them to do the same thing for the next two years, it's not a good fit. Like they should have the opportunity to grow with the company and be able to move up. That's what these kinds of these people are looking for, kind of upward trajectory positions. Making sure they understand kind of like how much management and training time is required. If they've never hired at all before, if they've never hired someone entry level, like you're going to have to spend, you know, three to five hours a week with this person for the first few months, really getting them up to speed and answering their questions and like, do you understand that's the process? And then making sure they have SOPs that, you know, you're not going to come in and like throw this kid a, a laptop and be like, you know, make money online and send it to me kind of thing. You know, that's always been my hesitation with the idea of, of hiring like an apprentice or an intern or someone like that, or even like a friend or family member or something, you know, because every time I've tried it, I just get sucked into that training process and it eats up way too much of my time. And so I've always resorted to just hiring people who have a little bit more experience. They can kind of come right in, take on the process, and they already know the basic skills and just apply that to our process. How do you kind of overcome that if that's an objection? I don't know. Uh, I think the big thing we are seeing so far is the really like win-win scenario is when you've kind of got someone who's like very much in the position I was when I started, which is, you know, you have a side project. You know, I learned how to use WordPress. I learned how SEO worked. I had some basic, you know, when I understand I'm logging to cPanel and set up, you know, I wasn't a kind of complete beginner in this. You know, I'd spent maybe six months or a year like outside of my regular job working on this kind of stuff. So I had a sense for what was going on. And I'd also been doing it long enough to go, wow, this is really hard. And if I have to figure out all this stuff myself, it's going to take me a, a really long time. And so it would be a great deal for me right now if I could go work for a few years with someone that's more experienced and understands how all this works. And I, you know, I could 
pay my bills, you know, with my salary for that time. And I'd be in a much stronger position coming out the other side. And then likewise, kind of for the business owner, they can say, Oh, well, this person, you know, when I tell them to log into WordPress and upload this post and format it using header tags, they're not going to eyes glaze over and go, Oh my God, what does all that stuff mean? Yeah. I actually like the thing that I'm kind of coming to in my business right now in, in audience ops is, so we, we hire a lot of writers and for that role, we just look for really talented writers who can kind of fit right in and, and do a really good job there. But then we have this other role for project managers. And they're basically like the point of contact between our clients and our writers and kind of managing the process and internal deliverables and everything. But for that role, they have to be just really strong communicators, really organized. But most of all, they just need to get up to speed on all of our processes and systems inside audience ops. And no matter how talented or experienced somebody is when we bring them on, no matter what, it's it's always at least a four-week training process just to get them up to speed on how we do things. And that's just always a painful process. Like two to three weeks of just hiring the person and then like another four weeks of training them to a point where they're kind of at like full capacity, ready to take on management work. And so what I've been thinking about lately is like, you know, we should really have some sort of apprenticeship position where it's like an assistant manager role where they can kind of come into the team on a very entry level basis, do kind of lower level assistant tasks, but be part of the process, be included on a lot of the calls and everything. And so that two, three months down the road, when that next PM position opens up, we have people ready to just slip right in and really reduce that training time. That's kind of the way that I'm seeing it at this point. Yeah, that seems to be the way things kind of evolve. I mean, that was very much my story. Like I started doing SEO and I was basically writing, I mean, I was basically a content writer, right? I was writing, you know, SEO optimized blog posts for these e-commerce sites, which is a very easy way for me to pay for myself basically starting with month one. And I said, you know, I had to do a little research on how the industries worked and all that kind of thing. But it, it was pretty clear ROI from the business owner standpoint. And then, right, I was on all the marketing calls and I started to see, you know, I was uh, started to see other opportunities in the business like that I understood at that point. Hey, you know, actually I could manage the paid traffic and I could, you know, upgrade the, you know, marketing and et cetera, et cetera. So like what are the most common types of businesses that you're seeing who could really use an apprentice or like an apprenticeship program if they don't have one already. So the focus for me, one, I'm doing all remote just for matchmaking reasons. It's a lot, you know, if you're hiring remotely, it's a lot easier to kind of match up people. Um, so that's just my kind of personal focus. You can certainly do an apprenticeship that's in person. But I think the biggest thing for these roles is, I mentioned one, like having a growth trajectory. So like a business where it's not like, I just kind of want to keep this thing going for the next three years and I've got other projects, those tend to not be good because you get, you know, you're ideally, you're hiring this ambitious person that wants to come in and grow and make things happen. And they get into this business and they get six months in and they know everything there is to do. And it's, it's kind of stiltified. There's nothing else going on. So having, you know, over the next three to five years, we really want to grow. And um, you know, I think someone that I placed when I was doing it informally, that they started as just like a very entry-level marketing person for a company that was then, I think, six or seven people. And now they're basically the VP of marketing for the company that's now, I think, 30 people, right? So there's like a very clear trajectory where you know they could grow with the company and then basically form part of an executive leadership team that the company I'm referring to has three people that started as apprentices that now are you know, vice president-y type people running their own departments. Yeah, I mean, I was actually talking to one of our newly hired project managers in audience ops. And the way that he kind of framed himself up to, when he was kind of presenting himself to get hired was like, look, after 12 months of me working here, this is how I envision this kind of working out. Either I grow into a larger role at audience ops or 
I'm at a position where where I can move on to another business. And if that role doesn't exist for me in audience ops, then then I can move into another business and kind of leverage the experience that I've had here. And um, I thought that made a lot of sense, both from my perspective and from his perspective, just to be really clear about like, these are the expectations and where this could go. Yeah, there's a book called uh, The Alliance that uh, Reid Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder, co-authored. And it's basically just his HR hiring philosophy. And he, you know, he says one of the things that Silicon Valley does well or someplace in Silicon Valley do well is you kind of recognize that getting someone that's really good at what they do for, you know, one to four years as opposed to someone that's mediocre at what they do for 20 years, you're better off taking, you know, the person that's really good at what they do can, you know, do more in two than someone that's kind of mediocre can do in 20. And as long as both sides of the both sides of the transaction are really honest and open about what their expectations and goals are. It's like, you know, hey, I want to come in and I either want to be able to move up or I want to be gone in 12 months. You can structure the deal in such a way that's like, okay, like let's structure in such a way that whichever of those outcomes ends up happening, we're both going to be happy. Cool. So what have you done to take it from just a casual email list or, you know, talking to people one-on-one into what it is at this point, like an actual two-sided marketplace job board and system like who else is working with you on it and what is your process for running this thing look like yes yeah, so i have one guy that works with me full-time who does a lot of the who manages a lot of it at this point actually um a big part of the revamp so to speak was getting really clear about explaining what an apprenticeship is like the most challenging thing about this as opposed to you know i showed a job board for you know remote content writers is you know when, when i say remote content writers like everyone gets it like I know exactly what they do. I know why I'd hire them and how they fit in. Whereas like remote startup apprentice, unless you're, you know, you've read my book or you're very familiar with the concept, it's a little bit more explained to me what that is. Yeah. It could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. So uh, putting out content on the site, you know, restructuring the site, like long explainer pages and FAQ pages and going through call. I've been on you know 20 calls over the last three months where I'm explaining the same thing over and over and for like, ah, oh, when I said this, their eyes lit up, you know, write that down. That should go in the copy. So that's been a big part of it. Other than that, a lot of it's just been starting to mention it more, talk about it more in conversation. I have an email list from my book and articles, you know, mentioning to them, if you know anyone that's interested, let them know, you know, we're sending out more job opportunities. And a lot of it is just, if I kind of consistently post new opportunities, people sign up because there's lots of people that are interested in these types of positions. And if they know, hey, if I sign up every week, I'm going to get some cool new apprenticeship opportunity, I'll sign up to get that email. Cool. So where do you see this thing going? Like, do you still consider it like a kind of like a side project for you? Or are you making it into a, a bigger thing or any like vision for how this might evolve into something else? Uh, I'm not sure. I think, I, you know, I said earlier, I kind of take everything 90 days at a time and, and see where it goes. And so that's kind of my philosophy with this. I think apprenticeships period as a concept over the next call it 20 or 30 years, are going to have a real renaissance, um, particularly in the US. I think they're more popular in Europe and Australia and other parts of the world. But I think the kind of revival of that model is going to play a really big role because for a lot of career paths, it's just a better fit than kind of traditional or, or a formal school. Yeah. And so many people are trying to switch careers or get into a growing industry coming from a stagnating industry. So you know, I'd like to be, I, th- I think that's a really important development. I'd like to, you know, kind of be a part of um, pushing that forward. Very cool. Well, Taylor, yeah, this is always interesting. Obviously, I'm going to keep in tabs on you reading your stuff. That's at getapprenticeship.com. Your personal site is taylorpearson.me. We'll, we'll get these linked up in the show notes. Are those the best places where people can uh, connect with you? Yeah. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter. I'm at taylorpearson, uh, M-E. Love the Twitter. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, thanks again for doing it. And, uh, yeah, talk soon. Thanks for having me.
All right. Was that good? Let me know what you thought of this one. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you recently. You're not getting my emails? Okay, then head over to my site, castjam.com. You can join my newsletter there. You'll get my best stuff about entrepreneurship, productizing, and more. Also, a five-star review in iTunes is always appreciated. That'll help others like us come find these episodes. All right, until next time, we get back to working on the business. Later. Later.